welcome to the City Light Podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online at citylightchurch.com. Today, we're continuing our series called Bystander. In this series, we are looking at the eyewitness account of the disciple John. John reminds us that Christianity isn't a response to faith or belief. Christianity is a response to evidence of who Jesus claimed to be. Thank you for spending time with us today, and we hope you enjoy the message from our series, Bystander. Like I said, we're starting a brand new series in here because, you know, Easter, believe it or not, is right around the corner. And I know it feels like sometimes we just had Christmas, but Easter is right around the corner. And I heard that later this week, we're going to hit some 50, maybe even 60 degree temperature. Come on, Jesus. Like, like that's awesome. I'm excited to get rid of the white stuff and let's have some spring. Let's have summer. Let's go. Let's, I'm ready. Uh, but as we are getting closer and closer to Easter, I wanted to do a series that really focused on the life of Jesus. You know, this is what it's all about, right? I mean, that Jesus is what, why we're here. He is the reason why we are celebrating today. And so I, I wanted to do a series based around his life, but I wanted to do it from a kind of an interesting angle. Uh, I want to take a look at his life through the life of his, one of his disciples, John. Now, John wrote one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John in this series and kind of looking at what did John see uh, in, in Jesus' life? What did he write down? Why did he write it down? Why was it so significant at times? And, and what did John experience that, that you and I can experience today? So we're calling it Jesus, or we're calling it bystander, and John the, 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 with the rabbi from Nazareth. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. Now, a bystander, like we all know, is somebody who was maybe there, he was present, but necessarily didn't take part in it, but they were there, they observed. It was like a witness to the situation. Uh, A few years back, I got the amazing letter in the mail that uh, asked me, and actually didn't ask me, told me, that I was gonna be doing uh, jury duty. I don't know if you've ever done jury duty before, but I was really pumped when I got that letter in the mail. And they say it's like this great, civic responsibility and you should be so proud to to do jury duty and everything well I didn't really experience any of those feelings when I had to go do jury duty okay so uh, when I went it was interesting went down to the Oakland County Courthouse and had to wait and then go into a room and then they had a presented some case they had to ask us a bunch of questions and I got selected out of all the other people to be on the jury and it was actually an interesting case. It was a, a, not a very good case. A, a man had assaulted a woman. And so we had to hear all the testimonies from all the different people that were involved. We had to hear testimony of people that were there and saw what happened. We had to hear testimonies from the EMT workers. We had to hear testimony from the police officers. We had to hear all these different eyewitnesses' accounts of what happened to this girl on this night. And then the 12 of us had to go back into a room and decide, what do we believe? Who do we believe? Look at all the evidence that was laid out, and we gotta make a decision here. Do we, do we convict this person, or do we set this person free? And my hope is that through this series, that we lay out some evidence for all of us. 
we lay out some evidence of the life of Jesus through the story and the, the account that John has written down in his gospel. And my prayer is that no matter where you're at in your walk of life, no matter if you're here with us or at home online watching, if you're somebody who's a believer in Jesus, you've given your life to him, you've surrendered your life to him, that my hope is that this series solidifies, you know, strengthens your faith in him based on the evidence that we see in this eyewitness account. But if you're somebody who's maybe on the fence a little bit, I think there's been many times in life that, that we can all kind of have that question, is this real? You know, do I, what do I believe on this? Is this? Does this really, really happen? Is this really, really true? And my hope is, again, that if you're on the fence, this would solidify you to go all in with Jesus and say, yes, absolutely, he is who he said he is. Or maybe there's somebody that you just don't know what to believe. Maybe you, uh, you know, are watching at home right now, and you're just like, you found us on Facebook, you're just checking us out or whatever, and you really don't know what to believe. You're kind of like, ah, you know, that's not for me. You know, maybe this is something for my grandma, but this isn't for me. My hope is that based on the evidence we're going to look at through this whole month, that you'll make a decision to say, you know what, maybe there's something to this, this Jesus character. Maybe there's something to this Christianity. Maybe there's something to this whole thing. And maybe I missed it. And this will give you an opportunity to see the evidence and make a decision is there enough evidence for myself to say, you know what, I'm going all in with Jesus. And that's what my prayer is, that we would take this series, take this information laid out, and make a decision to go even deeper in our relationship with Jesus. How many of you guys know that the Christian faith, this may sound weird to you, the Christian faith is not hope. The Christian faith is not hope at all. Actually, the Christian faith is a response to evidence. It's a response to evidence. When Jesus began, or when, when Jesus' disciples began to follow him, they didn't follow him because of hope. They followed him because of what they saw. John, the disciple, he left his father's fishing business, very successful, and he left that business to follow Jesus because of what he saw. Not because of faith, not because of hope. He saw evidence and said, you know what? There's something to this Jesus guy. There's something to what's happening. And, and he followed Jesus because of that. And I think sometimes we can do people a disservice when we say to people, you know, hey, you just gotta believe. You know, like, you just gotta believe. Like, you just gotta have faith, you know. And if you ever grew up from the South, it's like, you just gotta have faith, brother. You know, like, like or if you're into Hulk Hogan, WWE wrestling, whatever. But like, or you just gotta have faith, sister. Like you just, you just gotta believe. You just gotta believe this. And, and you know what? That's interesting. But I would say that John would say something completely different. John would say, I didn't, I didn't believe just in hope that everything was gonna work out. I saw some things. I heard some things. I wrote some things down and I experienced some stuff. And because of the evidence I saw, it, it led me to a place of, Belief. I think we can do a people a disservice at times when we say just believe and we don't share with them the reason why we believe. Why do we put our faith in Christ? 
Why do we celebrate him? Why do we give him everything? Why, why in the world do we do this? And I think it's important for us to explain the why. I think sometimes people uh, can get talked out of Christianity very easily. What I mean by that is maybe people grew up in a Christian home and maybe you know they, they went to college one day and a professor said some things and made them question their faith and, and really talked them out of it. Or maybe they you know, read a book one day and, and there were some really interesting things in this book and that book kind of talked them out of faith in Jesus. Or maybe there's people out there that, you know, hey, hey you know, I, I've just gone through some really hard things. I got some really big questions that I don't seem to get to be able to answer them. I don't, I don't understand what's happening. So maybe there's not a God and we kind of talk ourselves out of faith in this whole thing as well. I, I love this quote um, by this guy named Frank Turek. He said this, the reason so many people are easily talked out of Christianity is because we were never talked into it in the first place. We were never talked into it in the first place. What, I, what he means by that is, we just said to maybe our kids one day when they were growing up, hey, we're Christians, this is who we are, this is what we do. We go to church, we believe in Jesus, that's it, this is this, this is who we are. And nobody took the time to talk to them and say, hey, this is why we believe. This is why Jesus is so important to us. And maybe there's been somebody in your life that maybe said, hey, you know, this is who we are. We just go to church, we're Christians, I've been going to church my whole life. But maybe they never took the time to say, hey, here's why we give everything to him. Here's why we've dedicated our life to him. Here's why we go all, here is why we believe. I think sometimes we can do a disservice to people and say, hey, you just gotta believe. You just gotta have faith. You just gotta do this thing and, and it'll all work out. You just, you gotta start with faith and, and belief. And, and John would say, no, 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 start with evidence. Start with the, the historical account of who Jesus is. Look at the evidence that, is written down by eyewitnesses. Look at the evidence that was written down by people that have gone before you. And look at the evidence of people all around you. And say, okay, based on what I see, based on what I'm experiencing, it should lead us to a place of eventual belief. I love it because John, historically, people say that John probably outlived most of the other disciples. Uh, he outlived them, and so at one point, they're like, John, you need to write down your account before you die, you know? You know, Peter wrote down his account through his buddy, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you know, uh, Matthew and Luke wrote down their accounts, and so they're probably like, John, you're getting kind of older now. It's time to write this stuff down, and, and you gotta write it down so we can pass it on, because a lot of times in, in their culture, it was passed down by oral tradition, so they're asking John, you gotta write this down. And, and John kind of gives us a thesis statement about his whole gospel, but he doesn't do it like a college paper and put it in the beginning. He kind of puts it at the end. And in John chapter 20, in verse 30, it says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. He's not just telling his audience to believe. He's giving them the reason why you should believe. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? He goes, why do we believe? Here it is. 
He goes, what I want you to believe in is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the Gospel of John is kind of broken down. John kind of lays it out into a sequence of events to help us understand what he's talking about. His gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His, his, his gospel is completely different in the sense of how he designed it and put it together. It's really focused on the signs and miracles of Jesus. But what he's, how he breaks it down is he starts with these things called events. But they weren't just merely events, they were actually a sign. And, and these signs pointed to something. They pointed to this evidence that actually Jesus was actually who he claimed to be, evidence that he was the Son of God, Savior of the world. And when John got to a point where he says, wow, this evidence is really stacking up, I'm beginning to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. And now that I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, then I can put my whole trust into him because that's because I've seen it with my own eyes. See, John doesn't tell us, hey, put your trust in Jesus, everybody. Trust in the Lord, and everything's going to work out. He says, no, 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 my trust came from a place of, of events. that I, and it's, These are signs that I saw, that, and I saw this evidence of who he was, and I believed in him, therefore I put my trust in him. See, Christianity is more than just faith and, and hope, and it's based off of evidence, and that's what the disciples had. And that's what John wants you and I to have. That's what John wants us to see as we go forward in our life. So the gospel, he, John organizes the, his gospel around these seven signs. And it's interesting, too, because he doesn't call them miracles. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because they're pointing to Jesus' divinity and they're pointing to Jesus' identity. He's calling them signs, not miracles. So he wraps around these seven signs in the Gospel of John that point to something more than just a miracle. And we got to understand that that these are something really, really important. Besides Jesus would perform a miracle, walking on water, healing the sick, raising somebody from the dead, these weren't just random acts of kindness. These were actually signs pointing to something greater. They were pointing to who he was. They're pointing to his identity, his divinity. So the first sign that John talks about that I want to talk about today that maybe a lot of you have heard before, but is when Jesus turns water into wine. Now, maybe you've seen that again. I have a friend who gives me a birthday card every year, and it's about the same birthday card every year. And, and it's a picture of a police officer pulling over a priest in the car. And he, the officer says to the priest in the car, you know, sir, can I see that, that cup in your hand? You know, is that, is that what do you drink? He's like, it's water, sir. And he takes the cup and he smells it and he goes, you know, it's wine. And the priest goes, oh, Jesus did it again. You know, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've tried to tell this person too every year, okay, it's getting a little old. And apparently it's really old. But anyway. In John chapter one, 2, verse 1 and 6, we kind of see this miracle begin to the story, begin to lay out. It says this, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, 
And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So what this means is that John was there. Jesus' disciples were there. John was there. This isn't something that he just heard about. This is something that he experienced for himself. And in those days, weddings would last for days and days and days. They were very, very big events. The Jewish culture back then, they would have a celebration. It would be like a week-long wedding. I mean, crazy party, lots of fun. That's what a wedding was all about back then. And so it says this next. And what happens next would have been a catastrophe. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So running out of wine at this kind of a wedding would have been like the biggest embarrassment for the, the bridal party. It would have been so embarrassing. It's like running out of wedding cake or appetizers or your main dish or even wine in our day. Like, it would have been so embarrassing to say, sorry, it's gone. We got nothing left. My bad. You know, it would have been so, so embarrassing. And what's interesting to me is that in the middle of this situation, Jesus' mother knows that she can turn to her very resourceful son in the middle of a crisis and that he is able to meet the need that's represented in the moment. If you're taking notes today, I'd love for you to write this down. And that's just simply this. This is what I see. In the middle of our crisis, we can call upon our very resourceful God. In the middle of your crisis, doesn't matter what you're going through, you can call upon God and he will answer. He loves you so much because you are a son and daughter of him. See, I, I think when you look at this story, you know, running out of wine, was this really a big deal? Well, yeah, back then in their culture, absolutely. Did Jesus, you know, save the host of the party like a huge embarrassment? Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he saved the day. Was this as important as healing a sick person, a lame person, a blind person, somebody who was dead? Probably not, right? Like, like on a scale of miracles, you know, like, you know, raising the dead a little bit better than, you know, hey, ran out of wine, okay? So, so, so here in the middle of the situation, you know, Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm gonna be there. And, and, and Mary turns to her son and says, I need your son to be here for this. And Jesus, I love it because he doesn't rebuke her or send her away. He, she knows that she, he, she can go to him no matter what the crisis may look like. I think sometimes in life we can look at Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going through something difficult or look at our problem and whatever it was that we're facing and say, you know what, do I really need to involve God in this? Like, do I really need to involve Jesus in this? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of more important things that he's doing right now than to worry about little old me in this little situation right here. But listen, if it is a big deal to you, it is an absolutely big deal to God. He loves you that much that in the middle of your crisis, no matter if it's big, no matter if it's small, you can turn to him and he is a resourceful God that loves you, takes care of you, wants to bless your life, wants to be there for you, and wants to help you in every single step of the journey that you're on. Never think that your problem or your situation, I don't need to involve Jesus in this one. I can handle it on my own. You know, it's, it's, it's just so small, really. Do I need to really go to the Lord? Absolutely. I love what 1 Peter says. says this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Like he's, all of your anxiety, all of your problems, all of your situation, 
Whatever is weighing you down in the moment, you can cast it on him and don't think that you're causing a burden for the Son of God. Listen, he can handle it. He can handle the situation, big or small. And it says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I love that about Jesus. So Mary involves her son in this story, involves her son in the situation. And this is how Jesus' response is. And it, it can sound a little offensive maybe at first. In John chapter two, verse four, it says, woman. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Men, do not try that at home, okay? Don't try that at home and don't say, I'm just quoting Jesus, honey. Like, that ain't gonna fly in your home. I'm just giving you a little heads up. But Jesus says, you know, woman, which would have actually been not a, the way it translated, it would not have been offensive it would have been more like Jesus was saying, you know, madame, my lady, like in a very honorable way he would have said this to her. Uh, but he's saying, listen, you know, mom, you know, this isn't really how I wanted to go public. This is my first, you know, wedding miracle. Like this isn't really how I wanted to do this. Like, like seriously. And, it, you know, it, it could have sounded a little bit like a lot of our kids do. Like, you know, hey, Mom, like, what are you doing? Like, are you serious? Like, but Jesus did it in a very respectful way. And, and it says, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come, meaning it's not time yet. Like, really, Mom, I didn't come here to save weddings. I came here to save the world. Like, come on, Mom. Like, are you seriously involving me right now? And it's interesting because this is an amazing account that when you first see it, it may not seem like it has great significance, but this was actually one of the most perfect ways that Jesus could show the world who he is and what he came to do. The next verse says this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So this is a Jewish family and they're having this big Jewish wedding and, and part of the law of the Jewish people was that before you could come in and, and, and eat, you had to wash a certain way so that you would be ceremonial clean. So they had these huge jars up there, these big, big jars full of water. And people would go up there, they'd pour some water, they'd dip their hands in. I mean, they would get clean so they could come in and eat the food, they could, so they could do this. And Jesus says, hey, you know, I like these jars. Let's use these jars. But what's interesting that I think a lot of times we can miss in this story is that these jars, they just didn't represent a cleaning station. They actually represented uh, the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament law, all the stuff that, that came before Jesus that was passed down to Moses on Mount Sinai many years prior to this. It represented this ceremonial thing that you had to do things a certain way or you wouldn't be accepted in. And Jesus comes in and says, you know what, these jars, let's use these because I'm taking these things, this, this representation of an old covenant, the old way of doing things, and I'm gonna use these and, I'm, and we're gonna fill them with something so much better. I'm gonna replace this with something so, so much better. And I love it because this represents the whole Jewish law system that Jesus came to fulfill and to replace with a new covenant like we read earlier in communion. 
So number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, simply that Jesus came to establish something so much better. He came to establish something so much better. He didn't come to establish rules and regulations for people to follow. He didn't come to say, okay, listen, you have to follow exactly all these steps along the way, and if you don't miss one of these steps, you know, if you don't follow it perfectly, you're not in, I'm sorry. He didn't come to do that. He didn't say, you know, hey, you know, I want you to wash a certain way, and if you didn't wash exactly how I need you to wash, you know, all the way up to your elbow, you gotta get underneath those fingernails, because there's some grody stuff up in there. Like, he, he didn't say, oh, you know, if you don't do it a certain way, you can't come in and fellowship with me. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm coming to actually replace that with something so much better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm bringing a relationship onto the scene, not a religion. I think that's where a lot of times people miss Christianity. They think that Christianity is just full of rules and regulation. It's a religion. It's all this stuff, and and, and it's just simply not it. It's a relationship with the living God. I love it when I talk to people and they ask me, you know, what do I do for a living? And I always tell them, a pastor of a great church, and and I love it because a lot of times people say, you know. Well, you know, that's great, good for you. You know, hey, good for you, that's so nice. I'm not very religious. I love it when they say that. It gives me a great opportunity to share Jesus with them. Because I always say back to them, man, that's great that you're not religious because I'm not religious either. And they always look at me like I'm crazy. And they think, you're a pastor and you're not religious? What kind of church is this? Like, are you serious? Like, what in the, what's, the, what's the deal? And I say, listen, man, Jesus never came to establish a religion. He came to establish a relationship with humanity. He loves humanity so much that he didn't come to establish buildings and, and, and teachings and all this crazy stuff. He came to for the heart of humanity. And sometimes we can get lost in a lot of the, what I call theology of the stuff and miss the heart of why Jesus came. He came to, to, fill, to fill us with life and life to the fullest. I love what Romans says, the Apostle Paul even says it this way, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says not everybody who just does it right, not everybody who, who, who actually you know, washes a certain way, does all of the law perfectly. He says, no, 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 when you call on the name of Jesus, when you let me into your life, when you accept me as your Lord and Savior, receive the free gift of eternal life. Because anybody and everybody, no matter what your background is, no matter where you came from, no matter how much you know about God, how much you don't know about God, when you call upon his name, he says, you will be saved. And I love that about God. I love that about Jesus. He invited them into something so much better, so much better than what it used to be. Back to the story, verse seven, it says this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And I love what this old theologian F.F. Bruce said about this moment in the story. He said this in a book. He said, the water provided for purification as laid down by Jewish law and custom stand for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremony, which Christ was to replace with something better. I love that. Text goes on in verse eight. It says, then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. I love it. They, he didn't even know where this water came from. He didn't know that there was a miracle that took place. He just tasted it because he did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, they saw the miracle. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink because, hey, when people are drunk, they don't care what it tastes like. He's like, so we're going to save the worst for the last, right? But he says something so good right here. He says, but you have saved the best till now. You saved the best till now. See, this was more than just a miracle. This was a sign. This was a sign that, that maybe John in the moment didn't realize what was happening. Maybe the people that were there experiencing this didn't realize what was happening. But this was a sign pointing that Jesus was actually coming onto the scene and replacing something that was a temporary covering for the Jewish people and for humanity and bringing them something so much better. Bringing them something that they could truly experience life and life to the fullest, a covering that would last forever. But what I love about this story as well, it says this in verse 11, he says that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, not only I think was this miracle, this sign pointing to who Jesus was and how he was replacing this old covenant law and coming into a new covenant understanding, but he's, he did something today that I think, he did something in that moment that I think we can relate to today. How many germaphobes do we have in the house? Do you have anybody a germaphobe? Or maybe since COVID, you become a germaphobe? Come on, somebody. Like, just a couple. Well, I'll be honest. I am a germaphobe. I'll be honest. I am a germaphobe. Hi, my name is Jason. I'm a germaphobe, okay? And like, wearing or like having like hand sanitizer and washing your hands is no big deal for me because I've been doing it my whole life. I'm just glad the world has finally caught up to me. It's great. Uh, but I'm a big germaphobe. I just am like, and there's nothing in, in the world that sets my germaphobe twitch, you know, off like kids birthday parties. Okay. Just follow me for a second. Kids birthday parties. I go nuts at, I want to hide. Okay. But, but here's the deal. It's not the party. Party's cool. I'm cool with that. You know, playing the games, you know, you know, the, everything that you do, you know, opening the gifts. Cool. It's great. I enjoy that for my children. But at some point during the birthday party, right, there's a moment that we bring out the cake with all the candles on it. And we sing happy birthday. And then we set it before the child, the kid, or the adult. Let's be honest, some of y'all, it's okay. And then after the end of the song, we blow out the candles. But when you're at a kid's birthday party, air is not the only thing coming out of that kid's mouth. I mean, it is spit, it is slobber. I mean, it is whatever they had for breakfast. Like, it is all over the cake. And then we eat it. Think about that for a moment. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I mean, that just like, oh my gosh, that's like the grossest thing ever to me. But look what Jesus does in this moment. He looks at these water jugs. I'm sure people would come into this wedding filthy. They'd dip their hands in there, you know, get all clean. Maybe some dude just got off his camel, you know, comes in. He's cleaning up. He's nasty using this water. The water in these jugs were filthy. 
the, the, the jars themselves were filthy. And Jesus, looking around, says, oh, we're gonna use those. We're gonna fill them with new water and we're gonna drink out of it. And it's gonna be so much better. But isn't he, doesn't he do that with our lives? When we come to Jesus, we may be dirty spiritually. We may be messed up. We may be broken. We may be hurt. We may be full of anxiety, stress. You name it. The list could go on and on. We're full of sin. But when we come to, to Jesus and we let him fill us up with something greater, something better, we let him fill us with his spirit. We let him do a work inside of us. And we let him not just go a little bit in with God, but we let him fill us up all the way to the brim, all the way to the top. We don't just say, I'm gonna go half in with God. I'm going all in with God. I'm giving him every part of my life. I'm not holding anything back. And when we go all in with God, he says, man, he goes, oh, I'm gonna fill you up with something so much better. And then the world is gonna see the change. You know that a changed life because of Jesus is some of the greatest evidence that we have to show a world that, they, that, that Jesus is who he said he is, a changed life. And Jesus looks at these jars and says, man, that's what I'm gonna use. And it's a representation not only of this passing away of an old covenant, but it's a, a symbolization of what he wants to do and what he can do in our lives. Oh, he can change us and a miracle, a sign can happen in your life when you let God fill you, when you go all in with God and people look at you and say, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. That's what it's all about. I love what what Jesus did here in this moment. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. My last little point today is simply this. Our renewed life is a sign of what's possible with Jesus. Our renewed life is a sign of what's possible with Jesus. So John's eyewitness account. He says, hey, let me, let me tell you about some signs. I got seven signs in the gospel that I'm gonna share with you about. They're not just miracles, but they're evidence that convinced me of what I saw and what I heard. He goes, if they're good enough for me, I hope they're good enough for you because it changes my life. It changed me. John says this again, he goes, I pray that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what he wants for us to experience. Not based on faith and hope everything is gonna work out, but based on the evidence of who Jesus is and what he's currently still doing in our lives today. Your life is evidence of the work of Jesus. Let him fill you up. Let's stand today as we close this message.